0: You're listening to Esports Demystified by Valor Esports. In this podcast, we take a weekly dive into the world of esports by interviewing the men and women that are shaping this amazing industry. This week, we talk to Duran Parsi, director of Collegiate Esports at Faceit and former CEO of Collegiate Star League. Over the past decade or so, Duran has built an impressive career, which I'll let Sam tell you a bit more about. We hope you enjoy.
1: Duran Parsi is a young entrepreneur in the esports world. While still at university in his 20s, Duran founded Collegiate Star League, also known as CSL, the world's first collegiate gaming organization. Over the past 11 years, CSL hosted competitions for over 100,000 college students across 2,000 universities. Duran helped provide over 1 million in scholarship funding to student gamers. In 2015, Duran sold CSL to World Gaming. And currently, Duran is the director of collegiate esports at FaceIt which is an eSports platform with over 15 million registered users. Faceit was founded in London in 2012 is and is one of the top gaming league administrators in the world. We are truly lucky to have Duran join us today to discuss the challenges of building a business in the eSports world. But also, where is where did the world of Collegiate eSports start and where is it heading? Thank you for joining us today, Duran.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Um, we're really intrigued with your story, um, not only because you were able to build a successful business, um, particularly when you were when you were when you were younger, um, but my my interest and in Luke's interest started to really grow when we started to read about your goodbye post to CSL um, CSL community. You spoke about the gaming how gaming has changed your life um, and has kept you away from making different poor decisions. Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit more about that and how you think your life would be different if you didn't have gaming?
2: Oh, oh sure. Um, I think uh, when when I was uh, when I was younger, I like I guess my my family situation wasn't the best, and there were um, a lot of drug users and things like that in in my family. <clears throat> um, and so I think that gaming was uh, pretty much the, the thing that sort of kept me inside, literally, uh, (laughs) um, uh, instead of, instead of like going out and and kind of like being around the various different, um, people and things that I, that I would have otherwise like been able to sort of access and be exposed to very easily. Um, so for me, it was, um, yeah, it was a it was a way to it was sort of it was an ex, it was an escape in a lot of ways, um, but it was also kind of like a social tool um, that I was able to sort of use to you know make friendships and things like that 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 I really wouldn't have had the opportunity to do otherwise. Like it, you know, really established a you know my relationship with my cousin who's one of my best friends and and you know we really bonded over video games primarily um and so yeah i mean i think um you know i think that's 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 definitely a big one and then prior to to like actually working um in the gaming industry as a job i was you know i studied political science and i was um i was in dc and i was interning uh at a think tank and so i i think if i if esports hadn't have uh become a thing for me i would probably probably still be living in dc you know working on the hill or you know <laughs> something like that which is still something i'm passionate and interested in but uh you know i'm 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 just happy that sort of like the confluence of things in my
1: life put me here you know i like that yeah. No, I think it's, um, is that something you were aware of uh, when it was happening, when you were younger? Is that something that you kind of said, oh, this is is something I'd rather be doing than what's going on in my personal life? Um, I mean, it's just, when I was,
2: I mean, when I was younger, when I was like, when I was very young, it was just playing games because that's just, you know, easy, easy to sort of distract myself and play StarCraft for 15 hours. Um, yeah. And then you know when I was in high school and stuff, it was it was like I want to be competitive and be good, um, and and so I'm you know playing in tournaments and and things like that, and so I'm I'm playing, you know, with with more of a purpose I guess at that point you know to to like actively, like I'm 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 training versus just like mindlessly playing for hours on end, um, but I mean it, like the the aspect of, of gaming as sort of a career pathway was definitely nowhere
1: nowhere to be to be found in my brain. <laughs> Is um you talked about playing competitions at school. Did you have an esports club uh while you're at school or was that still something that really wasn't happening yet either? Um
2: I created I created it um when I when I went to to UC San Diego, um which was like basically probably the first esports club or one of the first esports clubs um, on any campus. I, I remember when I got accepted, literally the first thing I did was post on Team Liquid and, and say like, hey, who goes to UCSD? Let's start an eSports club. Um, that was like the actual first thing I did when I really got in. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, the, the eSports clubs today are, are like real organized and and massive organization. You know, most eSports clubs, are like the largest club on campus out of you know any type of student Oregon, you know our esports club was uh you know 80 people in a facebook group and we met in the math lab twice a week and played starcraft so just it, that was basically what esports clubs were you know 10 years ago and today they're they're a whole different animal
0: hi my name's nick and i'm one of the co-founders of valor esports I just wanted to take a few seconds to talk to you about this world first global esports club that we're launching there's more information available on our website at valoresports.com but the gist of it is that there's one-on-one and team coaching sessions and we apply real world sports theory to esports for more information or to contact us head to valoresports.com
3: interesting you're saying that um, the esports club nowadays are uh, big companies but uh, i saw in your um In your biography, you were a general manager for the Fnatic StarCraft. Was that before your study? Um,
2: That was that was that was uh, when I was in college. Um, So yeah, I mean, I I was uh, I played StarCraft competitively, and um, I was one of the more well-known people in in North America, I guess. And then, um, you know, when StarCraft Two was coming out um, in you know 2009 or whatever when everyone was was hyped about it i, I was contacted by fnatic and they um they basically said that they are wanting to sort of expand into starcraft and invest in in building a starcraft team and they uh, you know asked me if i wanted to to do that uh so i so i did i went over to fnatic and we built the StarCraft uh starcraft team and then when starcraft 2 came out you know we transitioned to uh starcraft 2 and you know for that first uh two years of starcraft 2 we were probably Probably uh, along with like Team Liquid, I think the most successful uh, non-Korean StarCraft team for those first two years. So, yeah, it was, uh, that was fun. I-, I was playing a little bit, but but uh, not not that much at that point.
3: Okay, Inter- uh, I'm very curious because now nowadays uh, Fnatic is a is a big team. I- I'm curious oh, yeah. how it-, it was founded in 2004, from what I saw in my uh, research. So. It seems that you were quite early working with them in their in the journey. How did it look compared to what it is now?
2: Um I, I think I mean, even back then Fnatic was 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 probably the largest esports team. It's it just the, the the nature of esports teams I think have have like changed very dramatically. Like I mean, Fanatic, even with Fnatic, we were one of the first few teams to have actual jerseys most at that time most of the teams were still just having t-shirts and things like that so fanatic was was ahead of the curve in a lot of areas um but yeah i mean it was um i guess just finances were much smaller back then you know the you know we were you know we were paying you know our starcraft two players like three four hundred dollars a month and that like at that time that was like a huge salary for a gamer (laughs) Um, like maybe like the top top csgo people were earning like you know two thousand a month or something um i mean i think that's that's kind of one of the bigger the bigger differences just like the the whole world of professional teams now is, is just so much different you know um, everything is VC funded and there's like millions and millions of dollars. And, and at that time, um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I definitely am not super aware of all the sort of back finances of everything, but, you know, I, you know, we were funded by sponsors and, you know, margins were really tight. And I, I imagine that, you know, Sam, uh, Matthews and, and, uh, his, his mom who was, um, actively involved in fanatic at the time. I don't know if she still is, Uh, but I'm, I'm certain that they were using, you know, some of their own money and everything too, and uh, to try to push things forward. So uh, it is definitely fun to, to think back on that and, and uh, think back on how, you know, we were, where I I was sort of involved at at like a early stage of like where, you know, I, I think I've written about this or talked about it in some place, but like, I think that when Starcraft 2 came out, that sort of like modern era of eSports was really began um, 2010 2011 with starcraft 2 and, and twitch um, so it's pretty cool to be involved in that uh, kind of at those early
1: stages did you ever want to be a professional yourself or did you give it a crack
2: um I don't know if there was like uh, there wasn't really a definition of pro gamer when I was when I was like actually playing competitively but like um you know I was I was a player and, and manager for the USA national team for StarCraft. Um, I played in WCGs. Um, I never, you know, I was probably like a top 10 to 20 player um, in the States. Like I, I was able to beat really good players in LAN events, but I never, you know, I never won major tournaments, um, but I would be able to qualify for them and then lose. Yeah. Um, so I was, you know, <laughs> I was better than average people, but not quite at the level of like the actual top top players. Basically, yeah,
1: I think uh, I think both Luke and I can uh, relate to that with uh, different parts of our life. But uh, um, yeah, studying- it's, it's,
2: there was there was definitely like a big uh, there was sort of like a gap in skill that like I, I reached a certain point
1: but never could uh, crack the barrier. I guess. Do you, Do you know what the gap was? Do you think is it just time in game or is it certain abilities that you Um, reflect
2: on i think mechanics mechanics probably i was i was never uh especially starcraft being one of the more mechanically intensive games ever made um that was a limiting factor for me personally um like i wasn't as fast or precise precise as a lot of people um and uh and, and i think just um like strategy and execution one thing that I, the one thing that I that I that I actually had that, that a lot of people um, didn't have is I actually played much better at live events um, than I did online. Like I was able to beat um, I was able to beat players even in StarCraft II when I when I actually never actively played. I, I was able to beat like some top players in LAN events that I like would probably lose a hundred times out of a hundred in yeah. online settings. So I I had that aspect to my game. Uh, but, but I think like mechanically and just, um, strategically, I was always like a little bit behind <clears throat> other people.
1: Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I was always better, um, uh, not at the event and away from the event. <laughs> I was the, I was the reverse, uh, which is not good when you want to be a top, top, uh, athlete or, or, you know, you know, so a uh, performer in anything. But, uh, that was just one of my things I needed to work on. Uh, you, you studied, um, studied law um and I, you obviously completed your degree when uh when did this the pathway down csl kind of start to to begin um you started you started getting some traction while you're still studying or is it post
2: <clears throat> yeah um so so i think a couple things um i um i i was yeah i i you know, sold CSL, uh, when I was in my first year at law school, um, but, uh, the reason for going to law school in the first place was, you know, essentially I, um, I, I, I had co-founded, uh, North American Star League and, um, you know, that was, that was my full-time job for some number of years. Um, and at the end of 2012, I quit uh, to, to try to focus on CSL full-time. Um, that was one of the reasons, there are a bunch of reasons why I left, but, but one of the reasons was, um, I kind of felt like up till that point, CSL had always just been like a, a hobby, like here's a thing that I'm doing that's kind of fun for me. Um, and it's just like a, a part-time thing to do on weekends and, and, and as, as a hobby. Um, and, and kind of around that time, I um, I first started thinking of CSL as like an actual company, and, and this can actually go somewhere. Um, so I I quit my my job, and I and I said I'm going to focus on this full time, um, and really try to to push it forward. Uh, and then, you know, in like 2014. So after having done that for for like two years, um, we were we were the company was growing. Um, but I wasn't making money yet from it. Um, and and up till that point, I was basically just living off of my savings essentially. And I was getting to a point where, uh, where I was running low on money. And, um, you know, unfortunately my, my family is not in a position to support me or anything. Um, so my dad basically gave me like an ultimatum and he said, like, if if you don't figure this thing out soon, like, stop wasting your time on, on video games and like go get a real job basically uh, because I can't support you. Uh, so I, I had previously used my grad school loan money to fund CSL in like 2012 and 2013. So I, I sort of thought, um, well, I'll just go back to school and use student loan money again. Um, and, and essentially the, the plan at that point was, you know, I'll go to law school because that's something that I, that I kind of wanted to do for some time anyways. Um, and essentially I told myself, okay, I'm giving myself a three-year window basically where either a CSL will, um, sort of take off and become sustainable for me as a career or B at the end of the three years. uh, If it doesn't, then I'll become a lawyer. Um, and it, and it just, so happens that you know this um, acquisition opportunity came up in my first year, um, so I was able to kind of do both, um, and I was I was happy that the 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 folks at World Gaming and then and then Cineplex who acquired World Gaming that same year um, were were um, supportive of me continuing to go to school while while still running the company. Um, I was definitely happy that that they were uh, that they allowed me to do that and then at that point I just said you know as long as I don't fail out of law school I'll just keep going and see how long see how long I can I can I can do it and somehow I graduated so well, and I'm in massive you... debt now so there's also that
3: <laughs> well you uh, founded college at eastport with um, student loan so <laughs> Yeah, That's I wouldn't
2: very recommend it. Pretty much yeah, I mean
3: it. um one thing that uh, I, I I mean I found very inspiring from, from your story is um I mean with the new esport bubble uh, I hear uh with a lot of either when I discuss with my colleagues or with different people that are that 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 just see the surface of esport, they see and, and they're just saying, oh, but these Guys are making money out of playing games, and they don't see like all the effort and the passions that was put behind, and like all the even the teams like as you said for Fnatic, they started and they put their own money and their own time and effort in building those things that finally paid off after so many years. Yeah. Um, I just want to to take a little bit, um, uh, like a little journey through how you. Build TSL, and from from my research, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but you started like this. All started around two thousand nine, when you sent a message and uh, you wanted to start organizing StarCraft player together.
2: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So basically, um, when I went to you know UC San Diego, uh, when I first got in, you know, first thing I did was was you know start start a StarCraft club because. I was pretty much the only thing i did at that point um and then my roommates my roommate's friend uh one day told me that the the tech club on campus was hosting a big starcraft tournament and especially at that time because i was i was still like you know less than a year removed from like actively playing you know 10 hours a day and, and competing and stuff i was like okay i'll go to this tournament it's gonna be easy to win and everything because at at that at that time i'm like i know who all the good starcraft players are and none of them are here so i should be able to win this easily um so i showed up and and you know the first thing i noticed was that there's like i think we had like 70 or 80 players sign up for the tournament. So that was like wow there's a lot of people that play starcraft here um and then i also um, found that there are actually a lot of players that were really good. Um, UC San Diego has has a lot of uh, Asian students, and not to be stereoty- stereotypical, but uh, Koreans are very good at StarCraft uh, in general. Um, and, and there, there actually, um, there was a student there who um, who, when he was younger um, in high school in Korea, because uh, he was a exchange or he was a, a foreign student. Uh, he actually was like on some of the the pro teams uh, as like a practice partner so they're, they're actually like really legitimate and good players there I and mean, that was just super cool for me um and so you know through that weekend i was just talking and made friends with a lot of those guys and um basically i, I asked them if they were interested in 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 making a team and um playing against uh, other schools so then you know most of them were interested so pretty much, first thing I did after that was I just went on Team Liquid again because that's where um, the whole StarCraft community really lived. And I uh, just made a post and I and I said, "Hey, I you know I go to UC San Diego and I, I have a team of people like um, looking for for other StarCraft players at the other UC schools. Um, let's let's make a league." And uh, I ended up uh, finding players at every other school and and they all put together teams and we made a league. Um, and then, uh, at the same time, pretty much the exact same time as that was happening, um, Princeton uh, put together a StarCraft team, and there's a whole Ivy League rivalry with MIT, and they had this big exhibition match against MIT. Um, and and the person who organized that um, who's one of my good friends now, uh, Mona. She she contacted me, um, and she uh, she wanted to work together. Um, on this league called CSL, um, and at first, uh, at first, I wasn't interested. Um, and then later that summer, we we kept in touch and we kept talking, and, and then basically decided, like, you know, instead of me trying to run a league and her trying to run a league separately, um, we'll just join up and and run one singularly. Uh, so yeah, basically that that's kind of how that's kind of how that happened, and, and the idea was just like. Um, you know, one, holy shit, there's just like so many Starcraft players at my school, and I, and I just had no clue. You know, I thought I knew all of the Starcraft players,, um, but I was just like shocked at how many there were. And then the second one was, you know, both of us, myself and Mona, and you know, many other people I used to go to um, day nine, like when he was in college, like we used to um, have watch parties at his at his dorm. Uh, where we would, you know, watch all the Korean leagues on TV, you know, two, three in the morning with like a handful of friends and stuff. And, you know, Mona was the same way. She would stay up late all night watching, you know, Korean pro games and stuff. And, and, you know, the thing that we wanted to do is like, we wanted to bring that over to the States. And, you know, since we were both in college at the time and, you know, we discovered there are lots of StarCraft players on campus. We're like, Hey, let's, let's do a league and, and let's see what we can do. Um, so
3: yeah, that's pretty much like the sort of genesis of, of how this started. Very cool. And along this, uh, this journey, at what point did you start realizing, okay, this is, uh, I mean, there are many players that want to get involved in the league and it seems that the opportunity is there in, in, at what point of the journey did you start realizing this is like a company opportunity, something that I can make a career of?
2: <coughs> um. Probably, I mean, like realistically, um, you know, around, you know, 2012. You know, when I was working at NASL, you know, we were the, the first like, daily broadcast studio solely dedicated to esports in North America. You know, we put on the first like big six-figure prize, prize tournaments, and you know, so and, and that year or the year before, like mid 2011 is is when NASL picked up investment, uh, investment money. And we were able to grow our studio and like really expand what we were doing. Um, so that I get like that kind of opened my eyes to like esports. This is, this is actually a thing that, that can be an actual career versus like, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm really just happy. I'm making a paycheck doing, doing a thing right now. But like, this is like a thing that can actually give me a real career versus you know at that time i was i was making like a thousand dollars a month <clears throat> and that was my job and i was you know working you know 56 hours a week yeah. um but at that time i was like oh well, this is a real possibility <clears throat> um and then you know that year for csl we had over 320 schools uh competing that year and that was that was individual universities with StarCraft teams, which is like insane to think about now yeah. because very few people play StarCraft anymore. But <laughs> at one time, we, we actually had 300 actual schools with teams of at least five people. And then that, that, just like that growth trajectory was starting, literally starting with, you know, 25 teams to 50 teams to 75 to 100 to 320. It was like, oh, my God, this... Like there's something here and it's, you know, I think there's, there's, there's something here. So um, I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to go all in on this idea and
3: see see what happens. So you mentioned that uh, you were working 50 hours a week, 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, I want to to jump a little bit into this. And I think this is part of building a business, like a lot of entrepreneurs understand like the hard work that has to be put into the passion to deliver like the project that they want to build. But I, I want to know what are the, the hard memory that you remember from from your journey? And if there were any moment where it was hard and you were still able to push through?
2: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think um, there were, there were Tons, tons, tons of hard, hard, hard moments for sure. Uh, most of them, I would say, um, just even not even thinking about CSL, but but back to, you know, my time at NESL, you know, when we first started, there was, there were literally our two casters full time and then uh, us in the studio, there was three of us. Um, and I knew nothing about production and broadcasting or anything and, and you know, I, my job—that wasn't my job. My job was to run the league itself. You know, that's what I did. I ran tournaments and events. Um, but you know, we, our studio had three people, so I had to learn how to, you know, run streams. I had to learn about how all that stuff worked. How to set up broadcasting equipment. Um, how to do all that, all that stuff. Um, I had to do that. I had to run the leagues. I had to do everything. <clears throat> um, and so that, that was, that was a, a challenge, uh fun challenge, but it was, you know, it was a lot. I think one of the, one of the early struggles there was our, um, our season two finals, uh, which was in December of 2011. Uh, and, and I was, I was in grad school at the time uh, in Washington, DC. And so I, I, um, I, uh, you know, I, I had to basically plan our, you know, three four hundred thousand dollar live event, at, you know, which at the time was a massive number. Big big lands are, you know, multi million dollars now, but back then, you know, three four hundred thousand dollars was was our was our big year end event, and you know, trying to plan out logistics and, and everything um, for that event in L.A. when I was living in Washington, going to school in Washington D.C. was was a challenge, and then, you know, having to leave school, fly back to LA um, for the event, uh, which was in December, so it was right around finals time. Um, you know, I, I I went, and basically I flew back on a you know a Tuesday, and we were basically at the event setting up. And again, you know, small company, so like I'm setting up banners, I'm setting up the stage, I'm setting up streaming stuff. Um, all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, and then the event, you know, is is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then um, the, the, the the hardest thing about that particular event was just um, very few people came. Um, our first event was huge. We we sold out the convention center. We had like uh, over a thousand attendees. Um, so we used the same venue, but we actually rented out a second hall. Uh, because the attendance for the first event was so big. Um, And for, for whatever, for whatever reasons, um, we got like, only like 200 people or something came to that event. So that one was, that was, that was tough um, to, to, to deal with just you know, putting in so much work, and then you like look out, and then there's so many empty seats and stuff, and that was that was really challenging. Um, and then immediately after the event was done, um, I took a red eye back to DC, and then I had a you know final Monday uh, that I didn't study for, and then I had a paper due that I didn't write, and so that that was like a really challenging time. Um, <clears throat> and then another one uh, with, with CSL was our first big live event with CSL at the end of 2012. Um, and that was like the first big live event that we had ever done, you know, up until that point, CSL was basically just online. Um, you know, the first time, like this is, you know, when I was using my student loan money, so I'm like, all right, cool. We've got, I've got money to put on a live event. Like we're going to do this, uh, this year. Um, and, and that was a very similar challenge, um, but the event was in florida so again like i'm trying to organize this big live event remotely uh which is really difficult um with at, especially at that time um mona you know who was my co-founder that that year um was her senior year in college and so so she she took like most of the year off of csl um so i was i was like almost working alone that year um and and then the biggest Thing that happened is that we had a sponsor uh lined up like an actual cash sponsor uh which was very rare at that time and that was you know i was relying on on that cash and even it's only a couple thousand dollars um like that that was a huge like a huge part of our budget was was that money um and i was relying on that for for all of our production and um <clears throat> Basically, like three weeks before the event, they pulled out the sponsorship, I guess, because a gaming peripherals company. Um, and they essentially said that they had been planning on uh, lining up the the sponsorship with the release of a new product. And, and our event was going to like line up with the product release. Uh, so part of the, the idea for the event was to showcase the new product. Um, and that release date was changed. So basically, they're like, hey, we're, we, we're not sponsoring this anymore. Um, and so that that was just gone. So I had to cancel uh, cancel all of our production, uh, and and pretty much make something up on the fly. Um, so we we ordered um, we ordered some some equipment and tried to uh, cobble something together, uh, which didn't work. Um, and then you know day nine was our was our caster, and, and he was super awesome in um, just being accommodating and and working with with what we had and he was trying to help calling people he knew from Red Bull and other places um but yeah we, you know we had to work with what we had at that time and then um on top of that uh during the event um in in the uh, semifinals in in a game our streaming computer died midway through the broadcast um so like we just lost the stream <clears throat> um And our our solution was uh, we eventually got everything uh, restarted, uh, but since um, our main observer on the streaming computer wasn't there anymore, um, I was observing on like a Dell laptop that I had on the side. And so what we ended up doing was like pointing a camera at my computer screen and then we had like day nine casting over my shoulder and it was like a very like very ghetto solution um but that was that was like all over reddit that weekend which was pretty funny um yeah that 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 event was like was a was a very big challenge um super stressful but um it was actually fun overall like it was like a really cool bonding experience for for me and the rest of the team at the time and the players um you know even though like the conditions weren't great and everything i think the players like had a lot of fun the matches were really good so it's like a it turned out i think like reflecting on it was really nice but sort of like in the moment it was uh it was
3: sucked yeah Yeah. i can relate probably to all the i mean not really in streaming but uh, being in software engineering we deal with bugs all the time so (laughs) all the technical problems that um, yeah. Like the feeling, it's sometimes it may it's it's especially hard if you put a lot of effort into it, and it is like, for example, when we do a demonstration of the software, if there is a bug in in the middle of the demo, <laughs> yes, and you prepared for like six months, um, and everyone is judging you on that one moment, and um, I think for you it it was like kind of. It, what what must have been hard is it seems that like you were working alone in terms of like in the leadership of the company, mostly alone in some of those moments. And uh, and then facing those challenges might have put you down. I mean, it it could have put a lot of people down. I, I want to know, uh, maybe if you can share us a little bit your feeling around, why is it that you did not give up? And what drove you into pushing through?
2: Um, I, I guess. I, I guess at that point it was like, you know um, how old was I? 24. I'm like, you know, I don't have a family or anything and, and I just don't like giving up. I'm very stubborn. Um, and I, I think like honestly one of my strengths for whatever reason, is that I just don't give up, you know, like a lot of the early competitors that we had in the collegiate esports scene, um, you know, they're all gone and I'm still doing this just because like, I just never, I just never stop. I'm just like, you know, um, but I, I think like the thing that I always told myself from, from day one of like trying to turn <clears throat> turn this into like a business and a career, actual career for myself was um, I'm going to keep doing this as long as I'm having fun. Um, Like as long as 51% of the time I'm enjoying myself, um, you know, there's more fun moments than there are not fun moments that I'm going to keep doing it. And so um, I feel like whenever I like personally, like whenever I'm going through challenges and not even like back then the early challenges, but even, you know, bigger challenges like you know at the end of my csl journey when we're you know dealing with you know a parent company cineplex is a theater chain that's going through a lot of financial problems and we're cutting budgets and i'm like oh how do i like try to make cuts budget cuts like it's a whole different set of issues that i was dealing with in 2020 uh than i was in in 2012 but you know the thing i always think about is like whenever I'm going through those times it's like, okay, am I, am I having more fun than I'm having not fun basically? And if the answer is yes, I'm having, I'm enjoying myself more than I'm not enjoying myself, then, um, you know, push, I push through. Um, and, and for me personally, that's what it is. It's, it's not necessarily, or it wasn't necessarily driven by, you know, yeah, I think this is going to like scale exponentially at some point so i'm gonna you know take losses today for profits tomorrow for me again for me personally it's just like am i actually liking what i'm doing um and, and for so far you know with with esports and, and collegiate esports in particular the answer has always been yes and so that's why i'm still doing it
1: yeah i think um i think that resonates with a lot of people the the concept that. You know, it's I mean, it's a bit of cliche, right? But most of the time people do say that same thing. You can find something you love doing, um, you never, you never really work a day in your life. I know, I know there's pressures around that financially, um, and hours yeah. and and school, but it, it I mean, you're still finding that opportunity and it's and that ability to push through. Um, when CSL was taken over by World Gaming, um, you, you still worked there for a little bit longer. Um, you had the experience yeah. of working with Wim Wim Stocks, who we've we've spoken to before, um, and he's had some pretty interesting experiences himself. What, what was it like working yeah. with Wim? Wim, so it's funny the um, when
2: when the acquisition first happened. So um, when the acquisition acquisition first happened. Um, this was before World Gaming was acquired by Cineplex. and at that time, uh, Wim wasn't the CEO at that point. Um, I think he was I think he was an advisor or something. I don't actually know what his initial role was. Um, but I, I had um, I had always heard him like he was described in like very um, like mythical terms. Um, and, and, um, a lot of people are like, I've never even seen Wim, like, he just like floats around at these events, but like i not seen him. And, and I remember we were at the first TwitchCon, uh, we we're doing a live event at the first ever TwitchCon in 2016, I think it was, uh, and I actually met Wim for the first time. Um, I was like, oh, this guy is very cool. I think like, honestly, Wim is <clears throat> like, knows everybody in the video game industry. Um so that that's just like it was just just interesting to just kind of see like you know walking around an event with him and like every single person it's like knows him and has a personal story um or some sort of personal relationship with him. So I think uh that's actually like a really to for me personally that's like a very admirable character trait because that's like I'm very shy and introverted, but like I, I I can be outgoing, but like in general, I'm not going to be the person at a, at an event that's like making the rounds and talking to everybody. And like, um, but but that's that's definitely uh, him. And so you know, I always like admired that he kind of had that ability. Uh, so that's something that I always like. You know, if there's something I want to learn from him, it's that. And then um. Just generally, like he just really likes gaming as an industry, and it's cool to see someone who's like from. I mean, I I can say that I've been in esports since day one of esports, but Wim's been in video games since like day one of video games. <laughs> uh, so that's it's just yeah, it's just neat. Um, uh, yeah, just definitely like yeah, it's it was nice um, <clears throat> working from uh, working with him in many ways.
3: Interesting. So, um, I mean, we had a lot of um, fun, and it was really interesting to talk to Wim. And um, and actually, he had some a really fun story with uh, Michael Jackson that I, I'm still laughing at when I listen to it. Uh, um, in our first video, mm-hmm. um, I want to move on to um, to uh, the to your current role. So you worked uh, in Collegiate Star League. You sold the company, and then you evolved the company to a point until 2020, when you decided that uh, you wanted to part way. And, and uh, now you're working at it as a director of uh, Collegiate Esport. So uh, I want to move around a little bit. What would What is your vision for the future, for, for your career, and also for what you want to bring to the, to the Collegiate environment through that role?
2: Um, so I, I think um, the the difference between FaceIt and and CSL, um, like notwithstanding the current direction of CSL, because I, I'm not involved anymore, so I, I'm not sure what that is. But you know, you know, as of a year ago, you know, really CSL is a league. Um, everything centers around the league that we run, um, and the difference between between that and face it is is like the fact that CSL's business model, like everything about CSL sort of revolves around the league itself um, is very limiting uh, in in many ways, both from like a sort of like financial perspective, because our revenue sponsors, things like that are all tied directly to the success of how big the league is. Everything we do is kind of tied directly to the league itself. Face it doesn't have that that same limitation uh, because face it itself is like a massive, massive platform. you know, literally, you know almost twenty million people now, you know, six, seven hundred thousand users playing games on face it every single day. So like you know, I, it's not the same. where like, oh, I need to make sure the league itself gets like X number of participants, otherwise, like, you know, our business is screwed. Um, so we don't have the same, like there's not a similar pressure, I think, to sort of, uh, really push a specific league forward. Um, and because face it's such a big platform, I think there's a lot more opportunities to like be creative with how I'm serving the collegiate community. Um, you know, again, with CSL, it's like, okay, I need to do a league because that's the only thing that we can do and like the platform that we had at CSL was literally only designed to operate a league. Um, so again, I, with Faceit, I can say, okay, well, we can use our platform tools, for example, to help eSports clubs. We can give them access to, um, you know, premium features. We can give them, you know, Faceit shop stuff. We can, we can do a lot for eSports clubs, varsity programs that are trying to sort of build communities on their own campus like through our platform that's one two is obviously we can run leagues ourselves which we're doing too but again that's like I don't even view that as like the central piece of of my goal it's like that's one of you know three or four different things where CSL that was basically the only thing Uh, so so like the scope of what I can do um, myself and, and like through face it to help the collegiate esports community is just much bigger, and then uh, because space, it's a global platform, you know, headquarters in London, and actually, majority of our user base is, is not in the states. You know, I, I think like 60% or more um, is in Europe. Um, you know, I have the ability to to do things on a global scale. So it's like, hey, if we want to if we want to help build collegiate esports in Russia. You know, we can do that and we have a staff of people in Russian that speak Russian that can help us. Uh, If we want to do something in in England, we can do that, you know, if we want to create an internship program and have people European students come to the London office to intern with, you know, our like production team, you know, we can do stuff like that where again with with CSL. um, I just didn't have those opportunities. Um, So I, I just think like. The the tools that I have available to help people is is just much more uh, here so that that's just super, super fun and exciting for me. Um, and again, not driven by the same exact pressures as CSL because, uh, you know, face it sort of like revenue and business model is just much different
1: yeah i think it's um i was about to ask you where, where do you think the next step is I, I mean you've watched collegiate esports grow within the us the us pretty much um and it's grown really at a, a pretty rapid pace uh looking at a timeline and i was about to ask what what is the next step and, and it sounds like you kind of answered that in the perspective uh of a global international Uh, step, uh, not just the US, but what else is out there, what do you think needs to be achieved uh, from everyone, I guess, not just from what you can do at Faceit, but what needs to be achieved for that to to start working?
2: Yeah, I I think two things. One, um, sort of growing things on a global scale and sort of, you know, building more more uh, global interactions at the college level is really good. Um, i think the thing that needs to happen or one of the things that needs to happen there um is just doing it um <laughs> i think there's a very decentralized structure um both here and globally um you know europe there's there's some efforts at organization um but you know the, there's like your uh, uem uh, which is uh a really nice group of people. Uh, but you know, every country has their own leagues, and some countries have multiple collegiate leagues. Just like in, in the States, for example, there's, you know, like <clears throat> 10 different collegiate leagues and conferences have their own leagues, and even pro teams are having leagues, like everyone's doing everything. Um, there's just a very like decentralized structure. <clears throat> so I, I think um I, I think some sort of unification, and I don't mean this in the sense that like one organization needs to like mm. dominate the scene because i don't think that's good either uh, but i think some way for people to work together um a work together b talk more and then like in competition have some sort of unity uh, whether that whether that ends up uh results in like a sort of neutral party like a, let's say twitch for example hosting a global championship for Fortnite, where um, you know, maybe there's like 15 American leagues, uh, and 10 European leagues and whatever the case may be, but sort of like everyone of culminates in a centralized place, um, yeah. at the end of the day, that's sort of operated by a more neutral party. So it's not like, oh, you know, play versus, versus CSL or, you know, UEM versus whatever else. Right. Um, I, I think that's a, that's a really That's a step that I think the scene needs, uh, because at that point, it gives teams and players choice. And I think that's a good thing. Players can play in the leagues they want to play in. And also, um, we don't face the same problem as traditional athletics, where like there's the NCAA, if you're a basketball player, and that's basically like you're playing playing here and that's it. And you play your one game and that's all you play. Uh, With esports, obviously, you know, if I want to play 10 hours of Rainbow Six a day, I can play 10 hours of Rainbow Six a day, and if I want to play three competitive matches a week, there's three leagues I can play in all of them. Or if I don't have that much time, I can play in one of them. But the cool thing is, like, there is choice. Um, so that's that's nice. Um, the other thing I think um, that is really important is is just trying to. Um, and I know Wim might have talked about this because you know Wim has talked about this a lot, and a lot of people are, but creating a more uh cohesive ecosystem like overall, yeah in the uh esports scene, you know, and you know, not to, to to use this cliche cliche term, but like path to pro, I think that's something that needs to be developed a lot more. Um, you know, really interestingly you know face it's, you know really big proponent of that you know fpl uh, for csgo is is like insanely popular and that sort of facet's sort of path to pro for csgo players um and that that's that's run now for several years and some of the top csgo players in the world sort of started competitively through the fpl system and they leveled up and became recruited and things like that um college needs more um more established pathways like that, and we're already seeing um, in North America, you know, college players are getting picked up by pro teams. Like this is, this is happening now on a small scale, um, and, and it can happen on a much larger scale if there's buy-in from publishers to sort of create uh, those ecosystems and work with work with people to to build those ecosystems. Not to say that every collegiate esports player wants to go pro because actually, i um, sorry, like actually going on a tangent right now. But, uh, <laughs> That's okay. Keep going. <laughs> um, but um, interestingly enough, if you, if you, you know, take survey data, uh, which I've done many times, uh, only about 10% of players actually aspire to go pro. A huge, huge majority of like college players are, are doing this because they like competing but not for the sake of like I, I aspire to be a pro gamer but like I'm competing because competing is just fun um, yeah. and it's like an organized thing to do with my friends and it's just like there's there's a thrill in competition and the great thing about college is that I can compete against people in my same situation at my same level so like the games are more meaningful you know <clears throat> like you can uh, you're a tennis player <clears throat> so I'm like okay you know I I play tennis too I'm really bad um and i could want to compete in tennis all day but if i'm competing against better I'm, I'm, it's not gonna be fun for me because i'm losing every time yeah. And but if i'm competing against you know the the three o's at my local tennis league like i'm playing in meaningful games if i win i get a trophy and it's like it's it's super cool so collegiate sports gives that feeling to people <laughs> but for those that do aspire to be pros um Allowing the collegiate space to provide an actual pathway uh, is, is really valuable, uh, not just in North America but globally too. Um, yeah, no. I know that um, some Filipino League of Legends players, I believe, uh, who who started in 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 collegiate, uh, got picked up by I, I can't remember the names of the team now, but some of the top Filipino uh,
1: League of Legends players like started uh, as as college players. Uh, so again, no, it's. It's yeah. interesting. Wim definitely spoke about that. Um, he spoke about having players. Uh, I think it was around Call of Duty uh, move up um, and have a chance within a professional competition. And most of the time, um, it wasn't so much that they were they were successful when they got there, but it was more about that exposure and opportunity. Um, so he, he did speak to us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah,
1: and I I think I'm starting to hear a pretty common trend with um, with people at a annual level talking about the unification um, you know we've had we've had a guy called Carl jenkins who is a um, esports manager at colorado western in the us talk about he kind of if he had um the power to do so he would love to see i guess uh, some sort of system above that just helped organize things a little a little clearer and a little cleaner um, I think that's similar to what you're saying is that you don't want someone controlling the whole thing, but it it is having that, I guess, that connection between everyone to work together. If you, um, if you were in a position and you had almighty power, you were an esports God, what would be the, what would be the, you know, the top three things you would change or or make Um, better? In
2: the industry overall? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think probably the first one would be inclusivity across the board. Um, E.G. just announced like a, a multi gendered Valorant team, super cool. Um, I, I would like if I could snap my fingers and change anything. Uh, probably the first one would, would be that um, <clears throat> to create more opportunities um, for for like women and people of color um to, to sort of like be involved in meaningful ways in, in esports in any capacity whether it be like as players or like in in sort of in management roles in, in full-time capacities as casters or whatever the roles are there's like a job for anyone for anything um so that would be the first thing i would <clears throat> i would change um especially because like you know uh various like different perspectives always bring about and help foster like positive change more quickly than you know not right. So that's that that would be good. <clears throat> I, I think a second thing that I would change is um, for publishers to be more amenable to working with third parties. Um, right now, you know, you see like a bevy of different uh, approaches from publishers, like the Valve approach of like we are completely hands off to <clears> the <throat> Riot approach of like, we're controlling everything. Uh, I think there is like a middle ground that is going to be beneficial for for everybody. I think I understand like a lot of the Riot perspective of like really quality control and brand message control. And that makes sense. I understand the desire for that as a company but I feel like the result of this ends up being negative ultimately uh, because it creates a situation where, like, the community is sort of codependent on the publisher. Like, <clears throat> this this League of Legends tournament is not run by Riot, so it doesn't get the attention, it doesn't get the interest, um, and people don't take it as seriously because they're conditioned to only do like, if it's not Riot, it's not good, um, <clears throat> and I, I think that that doesn't help grow the scene as much. Um, because again, like similar to the idea of inclusivity, there are you know third parties that could have really cool innovative ideas and things that they want to do and, and whatnot, but they feel you know inhibited by publishers where like Nintendo blocks um tournaments from running because they're using Slippy, which is like the the um <clears throat> the the guy that that basically like rebuilt the netcode for for playing um melee online that's better than nintendo's own netcode so people play that but nintendo doesn't like it so they 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 shut down you know and don't promote and don't encourage tournaments that are using it so it's like that why that doesn't help anything um that's the second thing i would change um and then the third thing um uh, <clears throat> the third thing i would change is 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 i guess just like more transparency. Um, Transparency in information to people. I think one of the big, big problems in esports and now this is like really off topic of of uh, where we started. But you know, one of the hugest problems in this industry is the fact that it's such a young industry, um, and um, it can be very exploitative, uh, and that's that I think is a huge issue. Um, not just because you know a lot of young people get exploit, exploited, <clears throat> or potentially exploited, or taken advantage of, like you know, let's rely on a bunch of volunteer labor and, and things like that. Uh, but it, but it sends it, it sends bad messages, and it really stunts the growth of esports overall. Because one bad story, like one really bad story, um, can set the entire industry back Mm. you know with with you know like mainstream media picks up on something um you know that that then harms the credibility of esports as a whole in the eyes of like the rest of the world um and and that's that's and that sucks really um so it's not just about it sucks for the people that are young that like get bad contracts and they can't afford a lawyer and, and they they sign these like really shitty agreements with like predatory teams and especially like games like Fortnite where the player base is really young. Um, so it sucks for, for those people. So I, I wish that there was better access to information, um, but for the whole scene, it's just, it's actually just not good um, because every bad thing that happens just like makes it that much harder for, for esports to be sort of taken seriously at sort of a macro level. Yeah. So those are probably the biggest things I would... Uh, no, some,
1: some pretty... I mean, th- those are the things we need to... I mean, for Luke and I to understand and I think audience who, who's new to esports, we stuff that without being highly involved and in those situations and going through, seeing those experiences happen around you is really hard. Um, we, we've run out of time and I just want to say uh, before we go, um, thank you so much, but also how can, how can anyone listening follow, follow what you're doing and follow what's happening with your, your work and face it?
2: Um yeah, uh my my Twitter probably face it uh face it Duran is probably the <clears throat> the best way. Um I tweet about food and my dog and <laughs> sports and basketball and stocks and politics. So so like kind of yeah. a mixture of a bunch of things, but like I usually will tweet about stuff I'm doing professionally there. Um or, or just like check out you know stuff that Face It is doing. Um it's 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 been a it's been a fun getting close to a year now that i've been with Faceit. and yeah i've i've uh, very much enjoyed enjoyed my experience so far and you know we're we're doing a lot of super cool stuff um so yeah i'm i'm pretty excited so yeah anything you can do to check Faceit out um or yeah my twitter really
1: excellent thank you thank you so much for your time and thank you for your insight um oh, thank you. um it's actually quite inspiring uh, i mean luke and i are in a position where we're, we're trying to do something different uh, and, and build something ourselves. So to hear to hear someone go through those experiences, push through and grind um, is really, yeah, it's quite uplifting. So thank you for your time
0: and see you down the track. Oh,
2: thank you. I yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Esports Demystified by Valor Esports. That was once again the brilliant Duran Parsi. You can connect with Duran on Twitter at duran. Would you like to join the world's first global esports club? We're taking recruits. For more information or to contact us, head to valoresports.com. And in terms of social media, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram under the username Valor underscore eAcademy. and you can reach us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash valor.esports.academy.